Welcome to today's episode of Doing Good. We're celebrating Jordan Thomas. After a tragedy as a young man, he chose what he thought was his right career path. Then he realized he had to go where his heart led him, to volunteer. Well, thank you, Jordan, for joining us today. We're so happy that um, you've made the time to join us on the Doing Good podcast. Just to get started, will you share a little bit about who you are, what you do, and why you volunteer? Sure, absolutely. Uh, So my name is Jordan Thomas, and I'm 31, and I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. I volunteer because I feel like not only was I put on this earth to be of service to people, but I feel like certain life circumstances led me to to live kind of a life and to, to be confronted with certain realities that are too often a reality for people. And I started an organization called the Jordan Thomas Foundation, and we provide prosthetics for kids that can't afford them. And so really why I volunteer is a, is a result of life circumstances and growing up with that perspective of to whom much is given, much is expected. I'm, I'm very blessed to have grown up and to have experienced the things that I've experienced and to have the opportunity to do what I do. And so I was able to turn sort of what was to many a was tragic at times, the loss of my legs, into triumph for countless young kids and their families. Will you take us through that journey of um, a little bit about the idea of service and then the loss of your legs and then deciding to create this foundation? You know, for me growing up, I'm very fortunate. Both my parents are physicians. And so I grew up in an upper class household where everything that I needed was provided for everything that I wanted. I had all of the material things, but there was an emphasis in my upbringing that my parents were always, 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 always emphasized this notion of gratitude and giving back. And that wasn't just uh, writing a check or contributing funds. It was going to the soup kitchen and getting the ladle in your hand and pouring a cup of soup for folks. It was showing up and helping the lady. I'll never forget the, the one that really stuck out to me was this young mother was walking in the rain with her groceries. Uh, and I was driving up the hill with my mom and she pulled the car over. She said, get in the back seat." She got the mom into the car and drove her home. So I saw that time and time again. And that instilled in me this sense of like, boy, I am so, so lucky and so blessed. And so with that upbringing, when I was in a a boating accident at 16 and lost both my legs, it purely came down to, I saw a problem. The problem was there were too many kids that didn't have access to prosthetics. I then took action to solve that problem. There was no idea that it would lead to some great, big, massive thing or It wasn't this massive heroic endeavor where I felt that I was going to change the world. It was, this is what I need to do. And it was like a knowing deep in my soul. It sounds like you are changing the world because you are touching one life at a time. It really is micro. It is one-to-one. It is human-to-human. That's how I think we fundamentally change not only our lives, because it, it is, in a way, a selfish endeavor for me, because it helps me to make sense of what happened to me. It helps me to heal from the pain that I experienced as a child at, at 16. And in turn, it's helping other people around me. And so for me, it is a one-to-one, person-to-person, human-to-human. What can I do to get outside of myself to be of service to you? And then as a result, you win and I win, and we all win, because it's really easy to be overwhelmed, especially now in the midst of the global pandemic and all of the chaos. So what I do is I stay in my lane, I put my blinders on, 
and I do what is right in front of me that I can do to help impact a life. Some people are literally stuck in an apartment or in a very small space and sometimes with other people. So that alone could be just a lot to deal with. And yet they want to make a difference. What do you suggest for those people to do or how to approach life or just day to day? I think it's important to normalize the struggle that there are countless people that are thousands and millions and billions of people that are all in this human experience right now as it is, and that it is okay to not feel heroic, to not feel strong, to not feel brave. It is okay. And so I think being gentle with ourselves is a big start. Second, listen to the intuition, listen to the gut to find what that passion is. For me, I wake up every day and I put my prosthetics on. I am reminded and confronted with my disability on on a daily basis, which then in turn reminds me of the kids out there that are confronted with an even harsher reality. That passion is what gets me out of bed. That passion is what gets me to do the work, to make the sacrifice to help these kids. So the passion is critical. And then I think it's important to surround ourselves with folks that help sort of throw and fuel on the fire and to flame the flame, so to speak, you know, that help um, to collaborate, to create, that are nurturing and supportive of that vision. It's critical because for me, the, the idiom of it takes a village, it truly has taken a village for me. And to say that somehow I'm something special, literally, it comes down to, I saw a problem, here's a solution, who's willing to help me, let's go after it. What do you think about, say, somebody just wanting to help their neighbor versus a nonprofit? Is there a good or bad, right, or wrong? There's really not. Given that I started an organization, a nonprofit at 16, I, a lot of people will come to me and say, hey, I have this passion for whatever cause it is, and I want to start a nonprofit. Can you help me to, to get this off the ground? There are so many established organizations that desperately need help and energy and muscle to help move their admirable mission along. It doesn't necessarily need to look like starting a nonprofit, and it's a lot of work to run a nonprofit. So I think there are so many worthwhile causes out there. Find the passion and then do a little homework and research. Who, do, who can I align? with. It doesn't need to be a big endeavor. It doesn't need to be the creation of a nonprofit. It doesn't need to be all of that. I think the greatest joy in my life is, again, that one-to-one, -one, that neighbor-to-neighbor, -neighbor, those human experiences that really enrich my life. And I just so happen to get to experience that through my foundation a lot. But it doesn't need to be a heavy lift like starting a nonprofit. There's so many great causes out there. So speaking of the Jordan Thomas Foundation, would you share with us a few stories that you especially appreciate for one reason or another? There are so many stories. The most impactful one for me was the first young girl that we ever had the opportunity to help because it became real. First, it was a concept and it was an idea. We sold these bracelets for $5 a piece and that was our first ever fundraiser. And we raised a, a modest sum, but it was a start. It was just simply a start. And seeing that little girl, her name's Elena, take the first steps that this community had come together to pay for was when it became very real to me. I think the ones for me that really stick out also are when I talk to the parents and I see the reality of what they're confronted with. When they're forced to make a decision between making their mortgage payment or paying for their kid's arm. I cannot imagine as a parent being in the position where I'm forced to make those choices. And so for me, hearing the relief that parents have when we say, 
you don't need to worry about it. We'll take care of your child until they're 18 is massive. Do you encounter that very often? It seems so extreme. Yeah, we do encounter it. It's one of these things. I think a big part of my organization is one of education. I would venture to guess if you're lucky enough to have health insurance, I imagine you don't know how good your prosthetic coverage is. Kids are consistently denied access to prosthetics, even if they're lucky enough to have insurance. A lot of insurance companies will take a pretty hard line approach and say, uh, it's not medically necessary, so therefore we're not going to pay for it. Why do they say that? Uh, prosthetics are extremely expensive and most kids need a number of legs. I have I'm a passionate golfer. I love golf and I have a pair of legs that I only play golf in, but they're $27,000. If we think about prosthetics like shoes, kids are outgrowing their prosthetics every 12 to 18 months. So what does that look like for a family? How many families in this country, in the world, can shell out that amount of money that consistently? That's another sort of big pillar of our organization is ultimately I, I want to put myself out of business by holding insurance companies accountable through policy change and saying enough is enough. You know, you've consistently denied these kids prosthetics, a leg to ride a bike or a hand to grab a toy. That is fundamental to childhood development. So that's another big portion of what we do with the organization. So is this advocacy piece a newer development or something that's always been on your radar and is just becoming stronger? The latter. It's something that's it's always been a, a pillar. Advocacy has always been part of what we do at JTF. It's become more of an emphasis of late. When Obamacare was introduced, the Affordable Care Act, I gave a congressional briefing on Capitol Hill to ensure quality access to prosthetics under Obamacare. Medicare tried to release a local coverage determination to restrict access to prosthetics, and we made some noise there and effectively ended that. So it's been a portion, but 2021, much more of an emphasis. So in, in addition to the prosthetics we provide kids, we will pay for them to go to camp. So if there's a something they're passionate about, we'll pay for that. We've paid for hip hop dance lessons. We've paid for horseback riding and baseball camp. And so my goal is to connect these kids with one another to share that common experience and then give them the opportunity to go pursue their goals and dreams. And they can't do that without a prosthetic, so we provide the prosthetic. My goal is to, to ensure that no child with limb loss or limb difference is limited in what they can do. So you're not only filling that gap for those children, but for those families. So what do these parents say to you after the fact? So they're just overcome with gratitude more often than not. You know, one really incredible story, I was getting fit for my prosthetics in Orlando, which is where I go and see POA, Stan Patterson. And I came out of the fitting room and I saw a woman across the room and she started breaking down. She just started sobbing. She approached me and she said, are you Jordan Thomas? I said, I am. She said, I saw you on CNN and I knew that I wanted to adopt a child with limb difference. Do you see that? little girl right there. That's my adopted daughter, June. She's now a recipient of the foundation. And now they have another daughter, May, that they've adopted. It's incredible. And these parents, I mean, they're just the most remarkable humans. So many of our kids are adopted. So these parents are adopting these children with limb loss. So you think like, what kind of a human being do you have to be to adopt a child? I mean, you must be a saint. These families are like, I mean, they are just everything. They're so great. They're so wonderful. They're so supportive. And they just are wonderful. And they, I mean, they just, they truly enrich my life and they just make my life exponentially better. That's incredible. And when you impact a child and I'll say, especially an adopted child and adoptive family, you impact generations to come. I believe that to be true. We've added 20 kids this year that will support until age 18. And I mean, we doubled, we went from 22 to 42 kids. And I think it's not like you're saying, it's not just the 20 kids, it's 20 families, 
it's 20 schools, it's 20 communities. That's where we start to really see the ripple effect is like, it's a lot bigger than even I, I can comprehend or appreciate sitting here telling you about it. Well, then what is the, I'll say, territory that you serve? Is it just anybody who's in need or what are the parameters? We don't have any specific geographic limitations. So we have kids from Russia, from Africa. We have kids all over the globe, predominantly in the United States, but not restricted within the United States. If there is a child anywhere on this planet, regardless of what flag they live under, what God they pray to, if they need access to a prosthetic, I will do everything in my power to ensure that they get that access. So you volunteer for your own foundation. What is it you literally do when you volunteer? For me, it's a big education piece. So it's, it's getting the word out and helping people to understand what it is that we do and why we do what we do. So everywhere I go, I'm like a broken record. I'm a six foot four man with two prosthetics. So I stick out like a sore thumb. Anywhere I go, I, I draw attention. So really anyone that will listen, I share the story. I share my story and I share about what we do as an organization. So that's a lot of it. I'm, I'm really engaged in the advocacy side of things, talking to a lot of funders and generous donors to get the funds necessary to keep the lights on and to expand what we do. So talking to families, talking to the kids, we were doing a thankful campaign for Thanksgiving coming up. So we get to Zoom with three, four, five, six, seven-year-olds about what they're thankful for. And that's great. So it changes on a daily basis, but I would not change it for anything. And so what do your parents think about all of this? I think they're extremely proud. There's somehow an idea that from the outside, it looks easy and that it has always been easy. And that is not the case. You know, I've had my own struggles. I've had sleepless nights because I was going through my traumatic and grief process of losing both of my legs. So, you know, they've been there supporting me throughout all of it, the good, the bad. They're in, as in, involved in this thing as I am. They believe in it. They support me. They support our kids. They support the organization and they show up and they do what they do. And I'm just so blessed to have the parents that I have. I adore my parents. I think they're just really proud of the work that we do. Where are you in life right now? And then where do you see yourself moving forward? Given that the foundation started at 16, I was growing alongside the organization. And so I started the foundation and I, of course, was in high school and then I went to college and then I got a job in Europe after college. And so I never had the opportunity to devote my time and energy and effort exclusively to my foundation the way that I'd like to. Now at age 31, there's a clear understanding that this is why I literally was put on this earth, was to do this work that the foundation is doing. And so there's less of a desire to pursue the job and career stuff that I once fell into that belief system that that's what I need to do uh, and sort of scratch that itch of like, boy, I need to do what I was put on this planet to do. And so that's what I'm doing now. And my life is a lot better as a result. And so the foundation, we've taken this time during the pandemic to really rebrand and retool the organization with a new website, new logo, all of that stuff is now knocked out. So next year is really looking like growth. How do we as an organization go about growing impact and what do we need to do to get there? So that's where I'm spending 95% of my energy and time is how do we as an organization impact more lives and what do I need to do in order to make that happen. Do you have any specifics on that yet? So big emphasis on the advocacy front. So I think there's a lot of opportunity through policy change to help change things. I also think that given that there are 
30 million people in this world living with limb difference or limb loss, that there's a whole heck of a lot of need out there. And it's likely beyond just the United States. Prosthetics are really, really expensive, especially in the States. When we bring a kid in, we allocate roughly $50,000 to support them through age 18. Internationally, that $50,000 can go a whole lot further. So I'm looking at a partnership with a great organization that does prosthetics in the developing world. And with $50,000, we can provide prosthetics to 72 people. So international expansion is another emphasis for me because, again, I don't care who you pray to or what you pray to or where you live or it doesn't matter to me. I think fundamentally we're talking about a human right and that right is the opportunity to pursue goals and dreams and not have restriction based on physical limitations. So that's what I'm going to continue to do. And that's just where I put my, everything I've got all, I'm all in on it. These children, is there any sort of common factor or common denominator between them as to what caused the limb loss to begin with or the limb difference? So a, a majority of the kids, of the 42 kids that we support now, I would say a majority, probably congenital birth defects. So in other words, they're, they're born uh, with the limb difference or with limb loss. And so that's probably the majority. And then there's some, you know, osteosarcoma kids, kids that face bone cancer and whatnot. And then trauma is probably the smallest, but we, we certainly see our fair share of, of kids that come to us after, as a result of trauma. But I will say this, the, the, the one common element between them all is the absolute resilience that is unbelievable. These kids, come hell or high water, they're going to make it happen. You know, so for me, it's like, it's really easy. It's like, if we get these kids to an even playing field, the opportunity to pursue their goals and dreams, they're going to go do it. I mean, they, they really are an incredible group of humans. And you see uh, the brilliance of like the human spirit. These kids that have really endured a lot at a young age, but they shine so bright and they're so gifted. They're just like heat seeking missiles. You know, they just are like, I'm going to go do it. And there's nothing stopping me. So for me, it's really easy. It's an easy sell as someone that's a part of the organization because I just have to put these kids in front of Mr. John Q or Jane Doe donor, because it's like, how can we possibly not support these kids? So it's like kind of the easiest sell in, in the world. It's not a partisan issue. It's not something that we, there's really much debate around. Kids deserve to walk. I don't think that is really a controversial perspective. Do you have any examples of when you can see the brilliance of the human spirit? I mean, there's re resilience on all kinds of levels. We have Paralympians that have worked tirelessly to get gold and silver and bronze medals that we've supported. We have kids that come out of extraordinarily traumatic or painful upbringings, yet they still find a way. There's just no way to squash that flame. When you see the light in these kids, it, it is really... It is absolutely inspirational. There's a young kid that we have, Henry, that is literally missing all four limbs. And yet he just goes about life. I mean, I think he's uh, maybe four or five years old. And this kid just perseveres. He just goes about living like with his limb difference, with his limb loss, with, with no limbs. It just shows me that like there's a whole lot more capacity that humans have than they probably even realize. Is there anything that Henry says or does that touches you or that might touch somebody else? It's not so much in what they say, it's in what they do that really has an impact on me. Uh, we have a kid named Tyler Jones. He's a sprinter in college on an able-bodied track team, Division I school, and he's a sprinter. 
which is beyond me, but he's a bone cancer survivor. And I got to speak to him last week for this thankful campaign. And I said, what are you thankful for? And he said, I'm thankful for my cancer. I'm thankful for losing my leg and I'm thankful to be here today. And I get that. Like I get what he's saying because that's my experience. For no sum of money in the world would I change a single thing in my life because it's given me perspective and it's given me an opportunity to make a difference. And so I see kids like Tyler, he had every reason in the world to sit in a wheelchair and to just, just mail, phone it in. But what he's done is he said, I'm not going to let this limit me. I'm not going to let it stop me from doing what I want to do. And he's now a track star on an able-bodied Division I track team, missing a limb. Come on. I mean, that's crazy. That's not supposed to happen. But that's what these kids do because he's given an opportunity. But if we don't give him a prosthetic, where is he as a result? And it's clear as day. I mean, it's, the proof is in the pudding. We have a kid, Noah, that we just added that is this precious three-and-a-half-year-old. He just went back to school. And he went to school on his legs for the first time. He just took the first steps of his life with the Prostate Heart Foundation. He walks into class. And as he gets to the threshold, he says, it's showtime. And he walks into class as a three-year-old. I mean, come on. Like, it's just, it's beautiful. It's like these kids, they just like, they just do what they do. And it's, and it's beautiful to see. So I'm wondering, Jordan, if you can tell us a little bit about anybody out there who may be interested in volunteering or serving people who have some sort of limb difference or limb loss, how can they get involved, whether it's with the Jordan Thomas Foundation or otherwise? I think if it's something that someone has found that they're passionate about, is advocating for children or adults or whomever with limb difference, it really applies across the board to any organization. Find the passion, stoke that point. Do not play small. Don't think, don't ever sell yourself short in terms of the impact that you can have. The most impactful volunteer within JTF that I've ever encountered was a jander that donated $13.72. That was the most impactful thing. And I draw on that all the time. So I say to people, it's like, do not sell yourself short because it is so enriching. And here's my hope is that it doesn't take an accident like mine to find that passion in being of service to other people. And find whatever lane it is, whatever cause it is, and pursue it. And don't ever think that you're too small or you can't make a difference or it doesn't matter. Take the step yourself and do the thing that's in front of you. I'm a big believer in that. I'm a big believer in self-love, self-care, because boy, we are so much stronger and so much more capable than we give ourselves credit for. I want to be sure that we get across or give you time to get across any passion, story, experience. Please, if you can share whatever may be just on your heart. There is so much stuff that's happening. And there are so many different factors. And there are so many people out there that in in my day-to-day life, I see that are really struggling. They're struggling with this pandemic. They're struggling with a lot of the, the racial things in this country, a lot of the political things, a lot. Of, there's just so much stuff going on. So I think within that, it's very easy to take a very defeatist attitude or this pessimistic attitude that like either I can't change it, I can't do anything about it, or what's the difference anyway? What, you know, what can I do? Whatever. There's like almost this apathy 
And I think like, especially my generation, the younger generation is often sort of painted with this idea that we're apathetic or that we don't care that we just want to look at Instagram. And that, that's not the case uh, in my experience. My experience is there are so many people out there that want to encourage and want to do positive things. Like I genuinely believe at the end of the day that human beings are good at their core. And I think it's just a question of finding that thing that really ignites us, really finding, getting clear on what that passion, what that purpose is. I found mine through a traumatic, traumatic event. I wouldn't necessarily encourage that. There's an easier way to do it. And so get still with it. Find that one thing that you really care about and don't stop talking about it. Talk to everybody and their brother about it everybody that'll listen and even if they won't keep talking about it because that will give clarity to the message and to what that what that vision is so it's a message of hope i mean it's hope objectively there is a lot of chaos in this world right now but the one thing that i find that gives me a sense of empowerment and hope is doing the thing that i love to do which is to advocate for to connect with children with limb loss and limb difference that's my little bubble that I can have a quantifiable, tangible difference in. Find that bubble and just don't stop, keep going. Like I've run into dead ends and, and I've felt dejected in my own journey. Like it's not, that's part of the human experience, but uh, we keep going. And if we surround ourselves, especially with like-minded people that believe in us and believe in what we're doing, man, we can make a difference. It, I think it's very, very easy for people, outsiders, folks that maybe have the opportunity to hear this podcast, for them to think, oh, I, I couldn't do that. Or like, oh, that's incredible. He must be some uh, superhuman or some. No, I literally, it's, that, it's not the case at all. I am as average Joe as it comes, you know, but I'm just really, really passionate about this thing. And so again, it comes back to this thing of like, not selling ourselves short. So it's like, if you can hear my voice right now, you can have an impact in this world. Are you, are you comfortable telling us about the story of the boating accident and the process you went through mentally to then decide and give back and give back through something called the Jordan Thomas Foundation? Sure, absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> my accident was August 16th, 2005. And I went scuba diving with my dad and my mom, and I was pushed behind the boat by a wave. We were in the Florida Keys, and we were way out. We were eight miles off the coast of, the Florida, of Florida, and my mom was, was scared that the boat would come down on my head because the boat was rocking so intensely. And so she gunned it, and the propeller pulled me in and hit me, and I knew immediately that something was really wrong. And I looked down, and my, my fins were gone. And uh, I saw a lot of blood and I thought, that's not good. And my dad jumped in the water and said, are you okay? And I looked at him as just as calm as in as plain as I'm saying it to you right now. I said, my feet are gone. We have to go. We rode back in and my parents saved my life that day because they're both doctors. And um, there are a lot of ways that I'm not here today. So I was airlifted to Miami and underwent three surgeries while I was there and Throughout my recovery in the hospital, I was in the hospital for two weeks, I met a bunch of kids, a, a bunch of kids, some amputees and some kids with other ailments and things that were happening. And 
but I specifically remember the kids uh, living with limb loss and they just looked like they, like, I didn't understand what was happening. Right. Like I was like, like, what's, what's going on here? Why is this kid still here? Because he was born without a limb. So it's not traumatic. So he could have the opportunity to walk. What's, what's like, what gives. And so I, I learned about prosthetics and um, how kids don't have access to them in this country, the most developed country in the world. And we don't give kids the opportunity to walk. So again, it was, this is a problem. I need to be part of the solution. What do we need to do? And so it started as, can we donate to this, to another organization? Came to find that there's, there wasn't really another organization doing what we had in mind at the time. There, there is now, there are other organizations like mine out there that are great. And um, that was it. I mean, we just started with like, that's a problem. Let's find a solution. The solution was an organization, an organization that had my name and we started there. There wasn't pyrotechnics and like fog and smoke. It was like, no, that's a problem. Like, let's get into the solution. What's the solution? Okay, it looks like a nonprofit. All right, cool. Let's start a nonprofit. And, and I enlisted an army of people to help me set this up and to be on the board. And it was truly the story of like a community coming together and giving back. And that's what happened. Jordan, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate your sharing your stories of hope and education and inspiration and frankly empowerment do you have any parting thoughts you'd like to leave us with today and thank you so much for having me i've really really enjoyed this i think for me my parting what's just on my soul right now is the message of of gratitude that i'm i'm so grateful to be here today number one there are a lot of ways that I'm not here today. A lot of life events that, that could have gone another direction in which I, I wouldn't have survived. So gratitude for that and gratitude that that in turn has given me the opportunity to do what I feel I was put on this earth to do. Although I faced a very traumatic, horrific event at age 16, I today have the perspective that I am so blessed for that to not only to happen to me, but then in turn, I get to do this thing that I was always passionate about, which is like to be of service and to help other people. And I so often think that in this life, I know what's good for me or what's bad for me. When I look back in retrospect, I see how wrong I am about that. The loss of my legs was the most enriching, momentous, fulfilling thing that's ever happened to me in retrospect. It was very traumatic and painful at the time, but in turn, it's given me so much more. I lost my legs but I gain perspective and gratitude and what true service looks and feels like. And for me, I wouldn't trade that for anything. Thank you for listening to the Doing Good Podcast. Together, we are celebrating those who do good. Would you like to nominate someone to be featured on the podcast? Visit the Doing Good website at www.doinggood.tv 